Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Let's pray to get into today's Word. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, because I'm anointed to teach. I thank you because your people are anointed to receive and to get our faith is built up and strengthened in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. This morning, I, I feel a sense of um, urgency about the fulfillment of our purpose. Now, I think during the Sunday school class, a um, brother clearly stated, the primary purpose of every believer is to know Christ. That's your primary purpose. To grow in your knowledge of Christ. And to lead people to that same knowledge. That is your primary purpose. Every child of God, your number one purpose is to do what? To know Christ. It's to do what? Because I said, yes, it's cold now. You have decided not to answer me. <laughs> What's your primary purpose? To know Christ and to do what? To lead people into that knowledge. That's your primary purpose. Now, outside of that, I'd like to call this your secondary purpose. That's your primary purpose. That's your first purpose. So we all have the same purpose. To know Christ and to lead many into the knowledge of Christ. But outside of that, how do we engage the earth? How do we interact with the earth? That's where we are all different. That's where the Lord calls us specifically with an assignment. And a lot of people, they live very careless with their life. They are driven by many things. And so, this morning, I just want to wake you up again to the sense that there is a reason why you are on earth. That there is a purpose. There is a divine assignment outside of your primary purpose. Why God gave you the gift of life. Now, I want us to read John chapter 1. We're just going to read a few verses. A few verses means about eight passages of scripture. <laughs> John chapter 1, and um, we're going to read about the life of John the Baptist. John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 20, um, 20, or from verse 19, John chapter 1. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, what was the question that he asked John the Baptist? Who are you? Is a question of identity. Is a question of purpose. Is a question of a cause that he was sent to pursue. And every time in our life, we are being asked this question. Who are you? That's the question that was sent to ask John. Who are you? Who exactly are you? Did they not know that he was a man? 
Did they not know his father's name? Did they not know that he was a prophet? They knew all of this. But beyond that, they were asking, what's your mission? What's your purpose? What defines you in life is your purpose. That's who you are. And so they ask him, they say, who are you? And they ask, um, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. He says, I'm not the Christ. So, for you to also know who you are, you must also know who you are not. Okay? You must be able to be bold to tell people, hey, come on, this is not me. This is not my area of grace. I'm not functioning here. This is not what I'm called to do. Okay? Now, (laughs) and they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. So sometimes, people want to make you look like the popular person. In this selfie generation, we always want to associate with that which is popular. Sometimes we want to change our looks to the person who is popular. I remember, I'm not sure of my statistics, but I remember the footballer David Beckham, when he went to China, I think over a million young people changed their haircuts just to look like David Beckham. There are many of us seated this morning listening to me. We haven't stayed in the place of our identity because we want to be identified with someone who is popular and someone who is famous. But John was bold to say, hey, Elijah was perfect. He was a man revered in the Old Testament by the whole nation of Israel, but I'm not him. The ability to stand in that which God has called you would require a level of confidence. I have sat across older ministers who feel and are primarily convinced that a minister must keep a job. And I don't think that's what the Lord has called me to do. I've had to engage with people who are older, who are more experienced, who I look forward, look up to. And they say, no, you can't go by this model. But I'm not convinced. I know what the Lord has called me to do. I know that the Lord has called me to give 100% of my time, my life, to this. You must be able to say, I am not this person. And that's very important. And then he says, are you the prophets? And he answered, no. They did not say, are you one of the prophets? You observe that word, these, there. It was talking about a specific prophet, because talking about the Messiah. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. Then they said, who are you? That we might give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they asked him, who are you? And they gave all these wonderful comparisons. They were not comparing him with failures. They were comparing him with other wonderful people. Elijah. Right? And all this. Are you this? Are you that? He says, no. This, okay. What do you say about yourself? Who exactly are you? And this man gives a wonderful introduction. I am. You know that God's name is I am. That I am. When you start stepping in your purpose, you start with the first name of God. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. What an introduction. Who are you? 
I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So they ask him, who are you? He says, I am my assignment. He defines himself, not by what he has. He defines himself by his purpose. What do we learn from here? That you are your assignment. You are your purpose. And if you haven't found your purpose, you are just existing. You have not started living. Life begins when you find the reason for your creation. Like I said, I'm talking about your secondary purpose. What's your primary purpose? Talk to me. What's your primary purpose? To know Christ and to do what? Have you gone home? What's your primary purpose? To know Christ and to lead others to Him. I'm talking about your secondary purpose right now. What you use to engage the earth. Understanding. Who are you that we might, answer, we might give a word to those who sent us? I am one crying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He defined himself by his purpose. Your true definition is your assignment. Your true definition is your purpose. Listen to me this morning, saints of God. You are not what you have. Your assignment is not, I am a millionaire. That's not your assignment. You are not what you have. You are not what you don't have. You are your assignment. And this subject of divine purpose is very critical. This time and in this age. So I'll tell you seven things that drive people. We're looking at the purpose-driven life. The purpose-driven life. Seven things that drive people. Number one, religious expectation. Religious expectation. There is an expectation that religion places on you. There are people today in ministry who are in ministry because their pastors expected them to be in ministry or forced them or compelled them. Religious expectation. Number two, family expectation. There are those who are studying courses today because their parents wanted them to study those courses. There are those today who are living their parents' dream. I've heard people say, I want to do this curse so my father can be happy. Family expectation. And you do something because of your family, not because that's who you were created to be. I, I, you know, somehow God, I, I thank God for His mercies. I have always very early walked with a sense of a divine calling. When I, when I got admission, I, I went to JAM, got very good scores. I was admitted to accounting. At the beginning, I think my father wanted me to do business administration or banking and finance. Then to work in the bank was, uh, was, was a very noble thing. And then I think my mom wanted me to do accounting. I don't know why they all wanted me to do something with maths. And I hated maths. And, uh, well, you know how you perform. 
So I got admission. One of the first batches to get into Delta State University accounting. My name was there. I sat in the first class. And I told myself, <laughs> this will be four years of torment sitting in an accounting class. And when I looked at, okay, well then, knowledge of career was a bit limited. When I looked at the end product that I would sit in the bank from morning till evening, you know, it was like sitting in the naughty corner. You understand know what I'm saying? Like, it was punishment for me. And when I walked into the bank, you know, you walk into the banking hall, the first thing that comes to my mind is that this, this would be good for the reception of a church. You know, this place can put your flyers here. <laughs> so I, I, I told my dad, I wanted to switch to religious studies. I wanted to study religion. So he said, no, if you want to work, you can't work with religious studies. So I, instead of religious studies, go do social studies. So I switched from accounting to social studies. And I knew people who we sat in that first class with who were there because their parents wanted them there. I am glad that I switched. I'm not sure I would have even graduated with the kind of scores that I graduated with. And sometimes we have this, especially when you have difficult parents who have unfulfilled dreams and they want to fulfill their dreams through you. They wanted to become a nurse. Or they wanted to become a doctor and they couldn't because their father died. Now you must be the doctor. And unconsciously, we stare our children away from their divine purpose. My younger sister who came the other day who got married, she, my dad studied textile finance. So he's a textile finance person. So my dad is a financist. My younger sister could do art things just by birth. She, do, she does art, she draws, she, she just like art. And uh, when the eldest was going to school, they got admission to mass com- communication. So she was in 100 level, and she was driving with my dad, they were going somewhere. And she saw a painting. When she saw that painting, she was looking at that painting intensely, talking about painting, describing the painting. When they got home, my dad just told him, go change your, <laughs> go and change your course. Because obviously, this was what she was born to do. Listen, we must find out why we are here. It's very important. I understand that we live in a society that the emphasis is on money. That's our problem. The emphasis is on money. But we must not forget that we have a responsibility And we will give an account to God for our lives. Never forget that. Listen, don't ever forget the fact that you will be accountable for your life. Never live without a sense of accountability to your creator. It will keep you on your toes. The next thing is money. Why is it what drives some people? Money. Just They just want to make money. They don't have a passion for the business they have started. They don't have a passion for what they're doing. They just want money. Praise the name of the Lord. When you meet someone who is passionate about what they're doing, you will know it's contagious. Are you following what I'm saying? It's cont- you just know this guy, he's, he lost this thing. It's not just for the pay. The next thing, people are driven by society, societal expectation. At 45, you should be this. At 50, you should be this. This is what society respects. 
People are just driven by society. Right now, what is raining? Coding. There are some children who hate the sight of computer, but their father must make them code. Because that's what society, that's what everybody is doing right now. Everybody is coding. You, <laughs> you must code. Even when it's obvious that these children don't like what they're doing, you want them to. And sometimes this is because of fear of the future. You don't trust God enough that what he has put on your child is enough to take them in the future. You feel that if they don't go in the direction of society, they would lose out. There's something my dad always told me and it encouraged me so much. In the first one year when I switched, although I wanted to switch, I didn't want to do accounting, I was ashamed to tell people what I was studying. Social studies education. There were more women in my class than guys. You know, so when they, ah, what are you studying? Ah, man, school is tough. <laughs> you can't say, as, when your mates, what are you studying? Business admin, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, electrical computer. Even those who are studying computer have never seen computer. They will just say computer. So, one day my father <laughs> observed it and he opened the jam form. So he brought out some subjects, zoology, all those kind of subjects. He now said, all these subjects here, were they made for human beings or animals? I said, for human beings. I said, fine. Somebody must study them. <laughs> then the next question is, why me? <laughs> you understand that? But at the end of the day, we feel that if we don't go by the way society is going, we might not be relevant. But that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. There is a divine programming in your heart, in your life. Look for it. Find it. Live it. There's nothing that excites me. Nothing that excites me except ministry. That's what I think. That's what I dream. That's what I live. You must find it. The next thing that drives people is their peer group. That's where my example comes in. Because my friends were studying something in code that looked more noble. Your peers can drive you to do something that you're not. Some people are driven by their peers. They are not driven by purpose. They are driven by their peers. They are age mates. That's why I see that most times a group of friends will do the same thing. The next thing, people are driven by personal ambition. They just want to achieve something. They just want to become famous. But the last, is people who are driven by sense of divine calling. These are people who are driven by God's original purpose. They are driven by sense of divine calling. You know, there's some of you here right now, you know you were born to teach. You are a teacher by birth, by divine purpose. But what will be your excuse? Teaching does not pay. Some of you know you should work with children. But what's your excuse? Ah, without put food in my table. And because of these limitations we place on ourselves, we hinder God from being able to use us to bring solutions to the earth realm. Your secondary purpose is your engagement with the earth system. Your purpose is God-given. You don't create it, 
you discover it. I'll give you six statements about your purpose. Number one, your purpose is God's given. You don't create it. You do what? You discover it. You don't have to say, ah, let me... No, no, no. You find it. It's already in you. It's already in you. When you see people who were created for certain things doing it, you just sense that this one was born to do this. Are you following this? Funny enough, you know, sometimes people come with these divine abilities. I'm the kind of person that if my... Okay, I'll give you an example, for instance, in my house. I'm the kind of person that if my door handle gets bad, my first response is just leave the door the way it is. As far as they will not carry us in the night. Just close it that way. Tomorrow we'll call somebody to fix it. My wife will fix it. She will look for something, tie it. Before you know, she'll just tell you she has fixed it. In fact, I remember one time we had something wrong with our plumbing. Thing wasn't flushing properly. So I said, oh, we'll call the plumber. I went out, before I came back, she said, oh, she removed this, she had discovered the force, she has fixed it. Okay, fantastic. Just divine crafting, divine wiring. Okay? There are people who, I teach the Bible, but if you put me in a room full of children, <laughs> I'm not sure the children ministry will grow. Because if I teach and you cry, you are in trouble. Do you understand? For distracting me, I'll send you out. And how many of you know, after one year, there'll be no child in that class anymore? See, I got wired for that. And I don't understand when you tell a child, it's okay. You know, for me, naughty corner is not punishment. Punishment is when you see the tears coming out. That's when you know, do you understand? So, I can walk with them. But are they, and sometimes I'm surprised when I watch some of these American videos, with children, you see some men, they will do donor, they will roll on it. Ah, ah. I'm like, ah, guy, what is it? You are a man, stand up. Do you understand? But there are people, there are men who can work with children. It's divine wiring. Within your system, there is something God has created you for. I want you to be reflective as we move into the course of this year. Don't spend your energy being driven by something else. Except what God has created you for. Are you following what I'm saying? Don't say, this is just a stepping stone. Life is going. You're not growing younger. A time has come in your life where you're deliberate about your purpose. Don't say, ah, in the future I'll get to it. The future is today. Why would you ask for long life if you're not doing what God has asked you to do? Why do you need it? Just means you're selfish. You just want to be here. Just enjoy time. Just enjoy space. Just enjoy money. And just live the way you want. Sense of divine purpose. Number two, your purpose is unique. There's no need for com- comparison. There's no need to compare yourself with someone else. There's no need to compare yourself with me. Paul says we compare ourselves with one another. We're not wise. Some people are called to do education. Some people are called to show mercy. Some people are called to work with women. Some people are called to work with men. Look at the man. How many of you know the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship? Demos Shankarian. You know? You know Full Gospel Businessmen? You know Manchester United? You don't know Full Gospel Businessmen. You know Manchester United. 
You have to double your offering this morning. Okay. So full gospel businessman fellowship. They must have carry on. You should read the history. He wanted to preach. He tried preaching a few times. He discovered that, hey, this is not me. So what did he do? He gathered businessmen together, pre- presented refreshment, and said, listen, we will invite somebody to come and preach. And that's how full gospel businessmen fellowship started. Are you following what I'm saying? That whole institution that have changed the lives of business people all over the world was locked up in one man. What is locked up on your inside that because of fear you have not given expression to? Who really are you that you have not given yourself to? What are you afraid of? Poverty? Lack? That you will go hungry? And so what? So, so what happens? You must conquer the fear. You must conquer the fear. When we started out in ministry, there were days we were hungry. There were days there was no transport to move. There were days we didn't know where the food was going to come from. I was reading something about Billy Graham's wife. Saw it on Tony Cook's Twitter, Twitter page. Of how in the early days of Billy Graham's ministry, when she, she, she was using an old lantern to do different things just to get by. Can tell you of Kenneth Hagin. It was the time he went to preach in a particular church. And whether the guest speaker forgot to give them food for two, three days. And they had to eat crocks of dry bread just to get to preach. I remember sometimes he said, <laughs> if you read his book, he said sometimes he would like to drive, drive in the evening, you know, late in the night, back from his preaching meetings because his tires were so bad. He didn't want to use them when it was... You know, you wanted to use them when the tower was cold and not hot. But today we look at Kenneth Hagin, we look at Rema, we look at Billy Graham. The, old, the, the fourth private person to be laid in the state house. He didn't do anything to preach the gospel. There was a time Billy Graham was offered a lot of money to build a university. He said, no, I'm called to preach the gospel. What really are you afraid of? Don't you have enough yet to start living purpose? Don't you have enough money yet? Don't you have, haven't you lived long enough living other people's dream? Isn't it time to live God's dream for your life? Haven't you hustled enough? You know we like hustling. When are you going to do what God is asking you to do? When will you get to write that book? When will you get to say yes to God in ministry? When will you say, hey, come on, it's time, let's go for it. Why do you need long life if you wouldn't do what God is asking you to do? Hasn't God been gracious to you enough? I think it's time to go for the dreams that God is putting in your heart. Your purpose is time bound. You must execute it speedily. You don't have all the time in the world. You don't. No, you don't. We trust God for long life. We believe God for it. But saints, you don't have control over that. There's a time to do everything. I was telling some of my, my folks, I was saying, hey, now that we're young, this age, this is where we can do youth camps and don't do youth ministry. If you're 55 and you want to say it's time to gather the teenagers and teach them, they'll say, ah, you have enjoyed your life. 
It's our turn now. You're saying we can't do this. They will not be able to connect. That the time must come when we'll make transitions. A friend of mine called me and says he wants us to do something together in ministry. That he wants us to experiment it and see if it will work. I say at this age, I don't, I'm not experimenting anything. Anything I'm doing, it's something I give my life to. This is no time for experiment. We could do that 10 years ago. But this stage, a thousand times no. Life is too precious to try if something will work. We're giving our best to whatever we sense that the Lord has called us into. Your purpose is time bound. So don't think you have all the time in the world. There's a season. There's a time you can do something. There's, it's an opportunity. Teach our heart. We, we need to apply our heart to wisdom. We Teach our heart to number of days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. Teach me to number my days that we may apply my heart to wisdom. Number my days, apply my heart to wisdom. What wisdom would serve these particular days? Don't think you have all the time in the world. Your purpose is time bound. There are things you can do as a young person right now that you will not be able to do when you get married. I know of girls, young girls in school, men, powerful, fantastic girls who were running, doing organization, doing speaking, doing this, doing that, doing all of that. When they got married, they disappeared from the scene. The season was over. Even you, you know. I used to organize seminars, well, I still do that, but I used to organize seminars when I was single, could carry all my money and just host. I remember when I brought Ben and some of you know Ben Gashosan, um, First Nigerian ICT ambassador. To worry. All the money I had there. Maybe 30 something thousand. I just used it to hire a hall. To put the program together. I wrote him. I said I don't have money to bring you. But I think you need to come. And he said oh I love your boldness. So he came. And he spoke. No wife. Nobody. After the program. Went home. Hungry. I was happy. Just going through the pictures. When I saw the number of people that attended. I was just happy. But you know, you can't do that now when you have a child. You have to think of your child, think of your wife, think of your father-in-law, think of your mother-in-law, think of your brother-in-law, think of your sister-in-law, think of your cat-in-law. You know, the dog in your father-in-law's house is also your in-law, it's your dog. If that dog is hungry, you are also responsible. By the time you think all of, of all of that, you know, there's so many of us that we can't give to the gospel. Our responsibility is so much. Before we finish calculating, 10% is just convenient. We can't give to the gospel. But there are days you are not married. You could give millions to the gospel. You could give a lot to the gospel. You can't do that right now. There's a season. Some of you right here, you're working in a fantastic place. You've got good facilities. These are, this, sometimes this is the only opportunity you have to be able to bet something extra, to write a book, to mentor young people, to give to a cause, to live for something. I want to challenge you. Break the code of mediocre living. Live on the edge of your dream. Live on the edge of God's purpose for your life. Find something God has called you into and pour your life into it. Wake up every day knowing that if the Lord calls you home, when you stand before Him, you will not be ashamed to say, I finished my course. Your purpose would require 
labor. You must love hard work. You must love hard work. Don't be the generation of the lazy. You know, it's, I, sometimes when I even talk about this generation, sometimes I now ask myself, am I not in the generation? When I look at the way young people approach life, I'm, I'm shocked. You give a young person a book, it's taking him months to read it. Months. And when you now ask, what book are you reading? Say, sir, I've forgotten the name. That's the first place in the book now. It's not the name that is the first thing you should read. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Learn to love hard work. Don't think work as punishment. Don't think so. I'm grateful to the, to the way my father raised us. When, when my brother came and we were doing that recording, some of those videos you watch that looks like it was recorded in the afternoon, those videos were recorded like 3 a.m. in the night. It took us like two and a half hours to set up the lightings. We recorded it at 3 a.m. The guy edited it like 6 a.m., slept for three hours, woke up. We did all of the 20 videos in one day and a half. It's putting your feet to your assignment. You don't sleep until the job is finished. If you need to get up in the night to pray, you get up. Don't think, you know, this is the thing. Don't think that life is going to give you something more just because you are a child of God. Paul says, I labor more than you all. Not me, but the grace of God. Grace and labor must be commensurate. Don't be a lazy believer. Don't be a lazy person. You know what God has called you to do and you're just lazy about it. Your purpose will require hard work. Your purpose will require focus. You must eliminate distraction. Learn to be focused. This is what God has called me to do. And I'll maintain the focus. A friend of mine, we we served together in in the youth service. And uh, he watched one of the videos we released. And he sent me a message. He said, I'm so grateful to God for you. Because of your focus. Because of your focus. Learn to be focused. Learn to be focused. Your purpose will require focus. It will require you to focus on it. Nothing grows without consistency. Do one thing. Do, have you not scattered your energy enough? Today you are doing this. Tomorrow you are doing this. You are on the board of many organizations. You are everywhere. Everywhere they look, they see you. You have joined this, you have joined that, you have joined this, you have joined that. Old boys association, you are the secretary. New boys that, are, that were old before, you are the vice president. Men that are above five feet, you are the assistant treasurer. People that have no purpose, you are the vice president. You are in every group. How do you cope? You say, well, I can multitask. Sometimes it's multifoolishness. Be good at one thing. Don't be found everywhere. Don't belong to too many associations. If you belong to one, when you, when you are there, make a mark. 
As the Lord was teaching me this message and I was thinking over it, there were some groups I belonged to on WhatsApp. I left. And they called me, ah, man of God. I said, sorry, not coming back. I wake up in the morning. Ah, full and yes, men are dying. I wake up the next day. Let's wish our general secretary happy birthday. And when you don't wish, they now send you a message. Ah, man of God, did you not see our birthday picture? Let me save myself the stress. Morning devotion. Morning manner. Family devotion. In one morning, I'm receiving 30 devotions. I don't have that time. Jesus Christ says, for this cause came I. Not causes. For this cause. I beg you, reduce the group you belong to. Reduce them. You know for some, you are just member. You don't have to. Determine what is important and focus on it. Will people say you are proud? They will say whatever they want to say. But you must learn the power of focus. The power of focus. Because sometimes, listen, let me explain this to you. This is the way I think and it's true. Whatever you give yourself to means you're not giving yourself to something else. Do you agree? Come on, come on, come on. Do you agree? If I give myself to, let's say these are three groups, right? If I give myself to this group, what have I done? I have denied giving myself to these two groups. So you must ask yourself, whatever I am committed to right now, what is it denying me of? What, what is the implication of my commitment to this place? You see, we live in an emotional generation that you don't want to displease anybody. Oh, what will they say? They'll say whatever they want to say. Something happened. Somewhere we used to have something. The owner passed on. Maybe like three days. After the third day, some members of the, the, the family of the owner came to where we were. And, you know, they started telling us how good the place is. The intention was to increase the rent. And then, four days later, the person had a shop. The shop was open. So, my wife said, but this person just died. I said, you don't, you don't know human beings. The day you die, as they are crying, they are thinking of how many houses does he have? Um, how can we increase? That you are gone. Do you understand? So, I told her, it's the same. You see, get used to it that you are only as useful to people as where you are alive. When you close your eye, they will descend on your property like scavengers. Forget this thing, our blood is thicker than water. Obviously, they will sell everything. And because of that same family, you will not do what God has asked you to do. So I told her, Never forget, you are only as useful to the people that see you now because you are breathing. When you close your eyes and you are buried, you are gone. The next thing is what can we gain from this death? That's all. After using you for DP for, for two days, they will take you out. The next thing you will just see the next DP, next level. You are, you are gone. This is I mean, I might be wrong, but that's how I live. I'm not emotional to even your children, they will move on. Your husband, 
fly on. Wife, launch on. That's the truth. You can't say, because of my family, I will not do what God has called me to do. You cannot say that. God gave you life for a purpose. Are you following what I'm saying? Your purpose will answer the question, why am I here? That's what your purpose will answer. Why am I here? Don't be emotional about living. I love something that Pastor Banky said. He said at the point his mother asked him, this preaching you are preaching now, your, your mates are building houses. You don't have one yet. He said he told his mother, are my mates preaching too? They are not preaching. They are doing other things. I said, so if this preaching will not bring money, does that mean we will stop why God created us? Today you can't tell the thousands of life is blessing. Preaching all over the world. You can't tell lives that have been restored, destinies that have been transformed, just listening to him. If the call of God on your life is not bringing money, is that enough reason not to fulfill God's call? Do you know, sadly, sometimes, even the people making a real difference in our world, they are not Christians. Sadly. I'm not talking about the gospel now, right? I'm talking about real change. You know what? They don't even have time to pray whether this is the will of God. I'm going to read a story to you <laughs> from, from this month's edition of Forbes magazine. So I read it. So I told my son to read it. <laughs> so when he read it, I said, what did you learn from the story? He said, I learned one thing. I said, what is it? He said, quit your job and follow what is in your heart. I said, no, no, no. It's not like that. <laughs> don't, don't quit your job and follow what is in your heart. He said, that's what he learned. I said, oh, so how do I? And so I had to tell my wife to go explain to him what the thing is really saying. Because it's not about quitting your job and following your heart. But I read this to you. I read this to you. Um, this month's edition of Forbes. It says, I choose to serve instead of making money. Giving, educa- giving children education is more meaningful than minting millions for this social entrepreneur. So, I'll just read a brief story. His name is Orodam Otto. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in human anatomy from the University of Paracourt, he completed an executive master's in project management from CUP UK. He also obtained a certificate in social change, innovation, and entrepreneurship. So, let me just read quickly. There was a documentary on the BBC called Welcome to Lagos, and it depicted Nigeria in a negative way. I asked myself, why would the BBC do a documentary showcasing Lagos and the only place that was appropriate for them to show was a slum in Makoko. One evening, I was going on the third mainland bridge and I saw this community and realized this was actually the community I saw in that documentary. I saw students without clothes and most of the kids were not going to school and this was a school day. The images haunted me and I realized there was something I needed to do about this. Now he goes on to say, although knew he had to take a drastic decision, I resigned. I told them that I, what I wanted to do as my national service, serving my community and making impact instead of staying in the bank and making lots of money. I began to work with young girls who were ex-sex workers. Within about three weeks, we were able to get about 140 of them back into school. We raised close to one million and that's how Slum to School campaign started. Now, just talking about this, this young man. Imagine sending about 140 people to school. 
And of course, if you read, for him to appear in Forbes, you know, he would have made a lot of impact. He's gotten a lot of awards, traveled several countries. I mean, what you would even traditionally be looking for, he's already gotten. But I just said this story to say, listen to this. Sometimes this thing we call divine purpose is not a voice or a thunder that would come in the night and say, Hey, my son, you are called to raise sugar canes for the Lord. No. It would just be impressions in your heart. You read the story of Mother Teresa? She was going through the streets of Calcutta as a nun. And she saw lepers dying. And she said in her heart, These lepers can even die with a smile in their face. Instead of dying angry, we'll take care of them. And that's how Mother Teresa started. That's how she started. Sometimes is do you know that sometimes when you see a child begging, is everybody doesn't feel what you feel? They don't feel that way. Some people just ah no, sorry, a child um hawking, you know, selling on the streets. Some people don't say anything. It's good. That's how they should train a child to be strong. Some people don't see anything wrong with it. And sometimes you go to bed, you are you it's something. Give it you don't have to do for one million children. Do it for one. Stop. Listen to me. I believe that every change maker did not go about starting planning an organization. I don't believe that. You know what? They just started giving value. One person at a time. And before they realize, they become change makers. But no. Our own generation will first of all do logo. We will do website. We will open Instagram. We will open Twitter. We will do Snapchat. We will go and snap picture. We will do all the social media things. One person has not gone to school yet. And the logo... Has 1,000 likes. What you're doing, is it touching real lives? Are people becoming better because you're alive? Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you. Galatians 1.15, Paul says, God had set me apart from my mother's womb. So when Paul was persecuting Christians, he wasn't doing what God was calling him to do. You can be zealous in the wrong field. Paul was zealous in the wrong field. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were conceived, God gave you a purpose. There's a story of a lady I want us to read in the scriptures before we go. I want us to run quickly. Let's go to Romans chapter... We'll read three scriptures. Let's go quickly. Time is going. Satan will give you comfort if it will make you walk away from your purpose. Satan will give you comfort if it will make you walk away from your purpose. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 to it. I want to read this quickly because there's a story of a lady I want us to get to. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 to 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Everybody say, let us use them. One more time. Come on, let's go. Say, let us use them. Say it one more time. Say, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in, in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Look at this. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He says, whatever gift God is giving to us, let us use them. That's the, that, that's the line I like. Verse 6. 
Let us use them. Use the gift that God is giving to you. I'm amazed when people belong to a local church and you have to force them to join your department. What do you do with your gifts? What do you do with your gifts? What do you do with your time? How are you serving the body of Christ? If people didn't volunteer their time and their expertise and their talent to help us put this wonderful facility together, we won't be here. What has this ministry gained from you since you became a member outside of your money? What value have you brought? What value have you brought to this island? What value have you brought to your community? What value have you brought to your world? What value have you brought to your nation? What value have you brought to the local church? What gift do you have? Are you using them? In Exodus chapter 31, let's read this. Exodus 31, verse 1 to 6. The first man in the scripture that the Holy Ghost, as it were, came upon, anointed for a purpose. Exodus 31, verse 1 to 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezaleah, the son of Uri, the son of Hor, of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 3. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to walk in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels, for setting, in carving wood, and to walk in all manner of workmanship. And indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamak, of the tribe of Dan. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Can you imagine what God did? When he was leading them through the wilderness, what happened? He put his spirit on people to do artistic work for the tabernacle. They were anointed to be artists. They were anointed to work with gold. They were anointed to work with silver. They were anointed to work with all kinds. You know, there are some tailors that will make a shirt for you. You will know this one is an apprentice. There are some that will make a shirt for you. Somehow, you know, this one is called into fashion. There's just an anointing about what they do. Are you following this? There are people who will work on things for you. You know that this one, there must be a divine purpose to this. But when there's some people do some things for you, you know that, hey, this one, Kai, is after the money. There are some people that will cut your hair. You will find a sense of, I read the story. I don't know why I read it. Where did I read that? The guy, the Ghanaian guy who cuts the hair of um, footballers. I mean, I don't know. Ghana, from Ghana, right? I read it. His own is just footballers and he earns big bucks. Just to cut hair for football. You know, there are some... <laughs> there are some people that will cut your hair. They will be asking you, Sir, is the line straight? You, and you are the one. You will not just say, Okay, leave it like that. Just leave it. <laughs> then when somebody sees you, the first question is that, What happened? They won't ask you that, <laughs> Did you cut your hair? They ask, What happened? Because the hair is like an accident has happened to you. And then they will say, it's good doing business with you. Come next time. <laughs> they're, not, they're not there for anything. That's why it's even difficult to get good people to employ. Because you know what? Somebody wants to work for you. They are not consigned about what you have employed them to sell for you. They are consigned about the money. Just 
get to month end, pay me and let me go. They're not concerned about what you have there. Everybody is not concerned about, listen, we can add value here. No. Let's go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. This is interesting. Acts 9.36 Praise the name of the Lord. Are you learning something this morning? Acts chapter 9 verse 36. Look at this. Look at this. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Certain disciples named Tabitha. Which is translated Dockers. This woman was full of good works. And charitable deeds which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydia was, was near Joppa and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dokas had made while she was with them. And Peter uh, prayed for her and she rose up. You can read that because of our time won't finish it. But I want you to look at this woman. She was not an apostle. She was not a prophet. She was not a teacher. What was she doing? She was just making clothes for widows. Just making sure they were clothed. And when she died, they heard. <laughs> I'm sure the widows said, that woman should come back to life. Because if this woman dies, we'll all be naked. And when Peter came, the scripture says, all the widows showed Peter. What this woman had done for them. You don't need an NGO to be good. You don't need an organization to fulfill purpose. What? Don't say, ah, sir, if I have, what will 10 cups of rice cost you every month to that child in your neighborhood who doesn't have food? What will a carton of Indomie cost you every month? That you are waiting to be Bill Gates. You know, sometimes this starting organization is just the pride of I run something. It's not value contribution. I'm sorry to say. Sometimes it's not value contribution. This woman did not have, she was not registered with CSE. A certain disciple, she, when she died, people said, no, she has to come back. I'll ask you a question this morning. If you die, apart from your family, who would miss you? Would people really want you to come back to life? Are you really honest? Are you really sure people will want you to rise again? If you die, will somebody be able to point to something and say, listen, he got this for me. Who have you fed in your life? Who have you helped? Who would be willing for you to come back to life if you pass on? Do you have enough good works that will warrant you to be raised? Or people have so shown you, you have shut your hearts to goodness. I, I, I want to pause here. I'm going to t- continue on, on, on Wednesday. Reasons why people do not fulfill purpose. I want to pause here. I want to pause here because I think this is a very good place to stop. We can continue on reasons why people don't fulfill purpose. But look at this. Look at this dear woman. The scripture says, a certain disciple. I want to challenge you. This is another year we have entered. Don't live for yourself. And I don't want to hear that story. Sir, when I have money, don't, don't say that. 
You don't need to have money. Are you good with mathematics? You can teach one child. You can make one child look back and say, if not for this uncle, I would not have learned mathematics. You can buy a jam phone for someone. 10,000 naira of your money can make a huge difference on someone. And I'm not saying live here now and go and hang around people and say, make a difference in my life. You know, we can, we can hear messages all kinds of say, hey, that's what we are saying. How can there be rich people in this church and someone is suffering? You will be hungry. Listen to me. Nobody, listen, nobody has to feel guilty for the blessings that God has given to them. It's not people's fault whether they are wealthy or rich. I don't teach those kind of messages also where you make people feel guilty. Ah, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going on a conscience-relieving giving. I'm talking about finding a curse that the Lord has called you for. And the ability to even look at a need and say, well, listen, although this need can be met, this is not my primary assignment. Are you following what I'm saying? This is my primary assignment, and I'll focus on it. Are you following what I'm saying? I want to challenge you this morning. There's a reason God gave you life. Don't disappoint God. I'll, I'll conclude on Wednesday. But let me give you the conclusion for some of you that have decided not to be coming to Bible study. If at the end of your life, you cannot stand before God and say, I have finished the course. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have kept the faith. If you cannot say these three things before God, you have failed. If you cannot stand before God and say, number one, I kept the faith. I kept the gospel. I fought the good fight of faith. And I finished my course. If you cannot say these three words before God, it doesn't matter what you achieved on earth. You are failed. There is a faith to keep. There is a course to finish. And there is a fight to fight. There is a faith to keep. There's a cost to finish, and there's a good fight of faith to fight. Let's be on our feet. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng, or call 0805-8887575 God bless you